Life Audio. Christian Parent Crazy World with Katherine Seegers is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational faith-affirming podcasts, visit lifeaudio.com. Welcome to Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. I am your host, Katherine Seegers, and in today's episode, we will tackle this vitally important question. What are the biggest lies being peddled to our kids by our culture and are they buying? Mm-hmm, good questions. We have got to know these lies, mamas and papas, if we want to make sure that our kids don't believe them. Yeah, we have got some serious work to do if we want to counteract these lies because they are everywhere. My special guest today has distilled the long list of lies that our culture promulgates into a best of list. She's got the top seven lies our culture is selling. So this conversation is all about exposing lies and speaking truth. That's the plan for this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World. So let's get started. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Heads up, mamas and papas. This is a lengthy discussion today. It's so rich and helpful and practical. So much ground to cover. Joining me again is Elizabeth Urbanowicz from Foundation Worldview, a phenomenal worldview curriculum for families, churches, and Christian schools. If you are interested in a worldview curriculum for your kids, and (laughs) why wouldn't you be? 
You can't do better than Foundation Worldview. And don't forget to use the coupon code CPCW10 to get $10 off any family license. I use that coupon code to purchase Foundation Worldview for our family, and we are loving it. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of Elizabeth's bio. She has a master's degree in education and a master's degree in Christian apologetics, giving her the perfect foundation to break down complicated concepts into little bite-sized pieces for our little ones and for us. She is so good at this, so we're going to jump right in. Elizabeth, welcome back to the program. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Catherine. It's a joy to be with you. I know my listeners already know the treasure trove of wisdom that you have to offer from our last episode where we talked about the Christian worldview, what that is, how important it is to establish a biblical worldview for our children, and how to go about doing that. That's Those are skills that are definitely in your will set. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's like you have a master's degree in education and Christian apologetics. Oh, wait, <laughs> you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so those tools are definitely very obvious in Foundation Worldview, which we talked a lot about in the last episode. But now we want to talk about some of the pervasive lies that our culture is selling our kids. Our culture is working overtime with a series of claims that simply are not true. They don't line up with the Christian worldview and they don't line up with reality or objective truth. You've distilled that list down to the best of, which are like seven of the biggest lies that our culture is selling the next generation. I can't wait to dig into these lies. What are they, Elizabeth? Well, the first one is one that if your listeners have already listened to the previous episode that we did together, they're already somewhat familiar with. And the first lie is that if I feel it, it must be true. Um, And this, you know, we see this in so many areas of our culture. You know, we might not, it, that might not be outwardly spoken, you know, where people are saying, oh, well, if I feel it, it must be true. But that's just everywhere assumed in our culture. And it's so, difficult sometimes even for us as adults because it's a lie that we so easily buy Mm -hmm. into as well because it really just feeds on our sinful flesh like yes whatever i feel is pointing me to truth so it's so important that this is something we start working with our children on at the youngest of ages you know to as we talked about in the previous episode you know to establish what truth is, but then also to equip them to discern what's the difference between something that is a truth and Mm -hmm. something that is a feeling. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes our feelings point us to the truth and sometimes they point us away from the truth. So I would say, you know, if I feel it, it must be true. That is one of the biggest lies right now in our culture. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, we, we do, we see this everywhere. And I think, I think it does break down logically fairly quickly. We can show our kids, well, yeah, that's not exactly true because I think the progression goes, if I feel it, it must be true. And if it's true, then it's good, right? It's good or right. Mm-hmm. And yet we can see very clearly there are some things that, Maybe true, but they aren't good or right. And they're also just the, the idea that our feelings always direct us in the right direction. That's not true. I, you know, when I was thinking about this one in particular, I was reminded of a story years ago. I was watching a talk show host. I, I'm sure I had a little baby. I was trying to get to go to sleep or something and I'm turned on the TV <laughs> and he had on, I think it was I'm kind of embarrassed to say, cause I, I haven't watched this in years. I don't have time usually to do that in the daytime, but it was Dr. Phil. 
And he was interviewing these people who had what was called the rage gene or the warrior gene. They Mm -hmm. are genetically predisposed to these violent outbursts of rage. Mm -hmm. So what they feel is it's, there's an actual genetic marker. And yet he was very clear with them. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you should act upon it. Just because you feel it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's, yeah, it may be the truth of what you're feeling, but it doesn't make it right. And yet so often in our culture with other things, we say, well, that feeling should be justified. So there, there's a real, you know, divergence here in that there, there are some things we all agree. You shouldn't go assault somebody because they cut you off in a turn lane. Right. Whether you have a genetic predisposition towards that or not, that's wrong. And we can also say that there are other things that we might feel that are wrong to act upon. And there's things that we might feel that are good to act upon, but we have to be in alignment with what is true from a higher source in order to understand that, right? Yes. No, I love the, I love that example that you gave uh-huh. because, you know, it's so clear that, you yeah, know, somebody clear. with that genetic marker, even if they're feeling that really strongly, yeah. morally, it's not right for them to act on that. And that's something that I think, you know, even little kids mm-hmm. can get very easily. You know, if we wait until our kids are teens, it's not that it's too late. You know, God has done mm-hmm. stranger things than reveal truth, you know, to the heart of a teenager. <laughs> but if we can start so. training our kids when they're really little to mm-hmm. discern the difference between something that is, either true or false, you know, it's objective, it's outside of us, it's either true or it's false, or something that's a feeling, something that's subjective Mm -hmm. and is, you know, going to change from person to person. They're going to be way ahead of the game just in, you know, looking at any claim and saying like, okay, so is this an objective truth claim that I have to determine? Is it true or is it not? Or is it just like somebody sharing their feelings with me? Like an easy example of this, as you know, if somebody shares with us, like, I feel like a man trapped mm-hmm. in a woman's body, you know, that's, that's a, that's a subjective claim because they're saying, this is the way that I feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can empathize with that person. We can ask them questions. We can get to know more about their story, but they're just sharing with us how they feel. They're not sharing with us a truth claim where when somebody says, I am a man trapped inside a woman's Mm -hmm. body. They're making an identity claim. It's objective. Like either it's true that they are a man who is trapped in a woman's body, or it is not true that they are a man trapped in a woman's body. So the easiest way to start this off with little kids is just to turn it into a game. And so the game that we use in our early childhood worldview curriculum is we just say, okay, we're going to give you some sentences. And we first start off with just true and not true. And we say, some of the sentences are going to be true. Some of them are going to be not true. You know, like, and whenever I say a true sentence, I want you to open up your arms and say true. And whenever I say a sentence, it's not true. I want you to cross your arms like an X and say not true. And we just give them, you know, fun sentences, you know, like puppies are baby dogs. That's true. (laughs) Um, You know, puppies fly in the sky. You know, that's not true. And then after that, we introduce what a feeling is. And we talk about how feelings are inside of us. And sometimes they can be really strong and sometimes they can be really weak. It's going to, you know, just depend on the situation, but those feelings, they're going to be different from person to person. You know, like when your mom wakes you up in the morning and says, today is Monday, you might feel really excited on the inside because you love Mondays because Monday starts school and it's your favorite part of the week. Or you might wake up and you might feel like you have a stomach ache and you might feel anxious because you really don't like school and you don't want to go back there. And that's going to change from person to person. And so then we play that you know, true, not true game again, but we add in feelings. And anytime we say a feeling sentence, we have them hug themselves and say feeling. And so we'll throw in sentences, you know, like, like the example I just gave, like Monday is the best day of the week. You know, that's a feeling. And then, you know, 
talked about puppies before. So saying like puppies are fun. That's a feeling. Like some people really feel like puppies are fun. Other people, when puppies are chewing on the sofa, like they don't feel like puppies are very fun (laughs) at that moment. (laughs) Um, So just equipping them with Mm -hmm. that. And I actually saw recently, like uh, somebody that that spoke into foundation worldview was talking about how their son was able to identify when they encountered someone who was a man, but dressed as a woman, you know, they didn't have to have a long conversation about transgenderism or anything, but the son was just like, Oh mommy, isn't that so sad that he's believing his feelings rather than believing the truth about his body, you know? And the mom was just like, wow, I had no idea, you know, by establishing these categories, my son was going to be able to see the truth right. in this. And so we just want to, equip our kids to understand this, especially before they hit the teenage years when yes. emotions are raging really high. And it's really difficult to, to understand that, oh, just because you feel it does not mean that it's true. Right. <laughs> right. If you can, if you can with your kids that are still younger, it's definitely yeah. um, the time to start. You don't want to delay on that. But if your kids are older, it's still a place you can go back mm-hmm. and shore up that foundation. God is all about rebuilding faulty foundations. So mm-hmm. we can, and I know your curriculum goes up into those higher years too. I think up until age 14, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some other really great resources out there beyond that. But that tr- mm-hmm. just distinguishing because so many people in our culture get this one wrong. Feelings define what is true for them. And that's mm-hmm. definitely uh, one of the most pervasive lies. So what, what do we have up next then? Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Yeah. Well, before we go to the next one, I was just thinking, since you're mentioning, and I'm sure a lot of your your listeners are parents of teenagers, if you're Mm -hmm. looking for an example, you know, like a 16 year old is going to roll their eyes, you know, if you're like puppies or baby dogs, you know, (laughs) they're going to roll their eyes. But I think a really powerful example, you know, if you ask your teen, you know, does, you know, like, do feelings always point us to the truth? And they're like, yes. And you want them to see that that's not true. If you could just use a more serious example Mm -hmm. for them, not that you want to play off of something serious, but if you say, you know, like, well, let's say that like one of your friends is really struggling with depression and that friend feels like her life just like is not worth anything and everybody else would be better off if she weren't here. Are those feelings pointing her towards the truth? Is it true that her, that she is worthless and that everybody else would be better off if she weren't here? Like, no. Or you can do the same thing with an eating disorder. You know, like if we have a friend who starves himself because he thinks that he's overweight and he's fat and he's actually underweight and his body is, you know, like, you know, just wasting away. Are those feelings pointing him towards truth? Is it our responsibility just to pat him on the back and say, yes, you are fat. You should continue to lose weight. It's like, no, those feelings are not pointing him towards the truth. So with teens, you know, we never want to play around with, with, 
you know, sad examples like that. But I think those are powerful examples that we can ask that just really hit at the heart at that there are going to be times when our feelings are going to point us away from reality. So I think that can be helpful with teens. And then related to related to this, you know, the second lie that I think is so pervasive is the lie that follow your heart, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and this lie, you know, I mean, this lie, I think it's very explicitly stated in most Disney films. Mm-hmm. Hallmark films too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. I, I don't think I've gotten through a Hallmark film that didn't have that somewhere in it. It's like, it, it is the foundation of every Hallmark film ever made. So yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Yes. And we hear it in so many different ways mm. in our culture. You know, we hear like, be true to yourself, you know, be mm. the authentic you, you do you. And so this is kind of connected mm. with that first lie with feelings being the most reliable guide to reality with also thinking that our hearts are the most reliable guide to morality. Mm -hmm. You know, that what is inside of us, you know, we should just, you know, we should follow that where we know, we know that that's not true, but it's so, this one sometimes is difficult for us to really live out and speak to our kids because sometimes we even buy into this lie as well. I mean, think about, I mean, this is an example that might Hopefully it won't rub people the wrong way, but even just think about, you know, like churches in the U.S. and how often people hop from church to church to church. Now, there are sometimes legitimate reasons for, you know, leaving a church. You know, if the church is not preaching the gospel, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're preaching something that's heretical, you know, and they're not open to correction, obviously that's a reason to leave a church. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times why adults leave a church and take their kids along with them is because, oh, this wasn't meeting my need. You know, this was, this Mm -hmm. was just not meeting my need for, you know, like the kids programming or, oh, you know, I just couldn't find any other woman in the church that I connected with, or, oh, you know, Mm. this just doesn't really fit with our schedules. And it's like, we're just following our hearts and like, what's very Mm. convenient for us. So we just need to, we need to be really, really careful with this. But I think a great way to address this lie is just to even ask our kids. So let's think about this for a second. Should we follow our hearts? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. So just giving, you know, rather than giving them a lecture about, you know, the 10 reasons why we don't follow our hearts, just asking them, you know, like, should we follow our hearts? And the interesting thing is, is when we give kids an opportunity to actually think through this, mm-hmm. they can see how faulty it is, you know, like that. Like I remember the first time I went over this lie, the first time I taught through the comparative worldview curriculum that I created for my own students. And one of my students raised his hand and he was like, Mr. Brandowitz, I am super confused. And I was like, what are you confused about, Josh? And he was like, okay, so let's say that my heart tells me I need to get a PlayStation and my dad's heart tells him I do not need a PlayStation. <laughs> like, what do we do? And I was like, oh, interesting. I was like, so you're saying that sometimes our hearts are going to guide us in the opposite direction of somebody else's heart. He was like, yeah, like all the time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's interesting to think through. I was like, okay, so let's think, let's, you know, let's carry this out. Yeah. I was like, so let's say we do just go with follow your heart. I said, in this situation, who is going to win out? You know, whose heart is going to mm-hmm. win in this situation? And he was like, my dad. And I was like, well, why? <laughs> and he's like, well, cause he's the biggest and the strongest and he has the money. And I said, interesting. I said, so ultimately if we decide to follow our hearts, whoever is the biggest and the strongest and has the most money, they're the one whose heart gets to be followed. Hmm, Is that a good idea? Or is there some potential dangers to that? You know, we talk through that. Um, Just like letting kids see, you know, just the logical outworking. Like it sounds so good, you know, whether it's a Disney movie or a Hallmark movie or, you know, like I was, um, this time last year, I was in Disney World with a friend, you know, like and the fireworks are going off Mm -hmm. and there's this great music. And then, you know, like it's like a dream inside of you and you just need to follow your heart. And it like sounds so good. Like, yes, Yes. I do need to follow my heart. But then when you think about it logically, you know, like even an eight year old can understand like 
this is going to be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like this is just not going to work. So I think, you know, if we just start asking our kids questions about this, they're going to be able to think through the logical outworkings. And mm-hmm. then they're going to recognize this every time they hear it in the media, every time they hear it in a mm-hmm. conversation, you know, and when the lie arises in their own hearts, you know, mm-hmm. so something that's just so important for us to directly address. I love that. You kind of brought a little Lord Acton in there, all power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely from his little PlayStation analogy that, yep. yeah, ultimately <laughs> it becomes a might makes right kind of world. Is that the world we really want to live in? Or do we want there to be some boundaries where where what this person's heart wants to follow? Because ultimately, like you said, those are going to intersect and they're going to intersect on a bigger level than your PlayStation. They're going to intersect in society when you're out on your own, where those people who have the power are going to be able to determine whose hearts we follow. And that that can, uh, historically, we can start as the kids get older, offering them a lot of sad examples from human mm. history where that yeah. can turn out well for a lot of people. So that's yep. awesome. That's awesome. Of course, we would point them towards scripture, which would tell us that the heart is deceitful mm-hmm. above yes, all else Jeremiah. and beyond care. Yep. Yeah. Jer- Jeremiah seventeen nine. who can understand it? So that is definitely something we want to be mindful of. So let's keep going here. What do we have next? Yeah. So the third lie that I think is very pervasive in our society is mm-hmm. love is affirming everything I feel. Mm. So you kind of, you kind of see the thread throughout this. Yes. It has a lot to do with feelings. And again, just really quickly as a side note to everyone listening, I am not in any way suggesting by talking about, you know, feelings and determining truths from feelings to say that, you know, feelings are a negative things mm-hmm. or, that, or thing or that feelings are something that should be negated. You know, according to the biblical worldview, you know, in Psalm 62, we're instructed to pour out our hearts mm-hmm. at all times to the Lord. And so our feelings, we are to pour out our hearts mm-hmm. to the Lord and then use his word as the straight edge against which we compare those emotions. You know, that's what we see in the Psalms all the time. You mm-hmm. know, men pouring out their hearts before the Lord saying, you know, like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why have you abandoned us? You know, like, why are you letting the wicked prosper? Why have you, you know, like abandoned me? And then ultimately they come back to, but this is who you are and this is what is true and I will praise you. So just want to encourage you, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying like teach your kids to stuff their emotions because that is not healthy and it is definitely not biblical. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, our emotions, our emotions are a good thing. You know, they're part of being created in God's image, but on this side of Genesis three, our emotions shouldn't be negated and they shouldn't be followed. They should be discerned. That is so good. Can I just, uh, just one little thing we were talking in between, mm-hmm. uh, between the shows about scripture songs. That's one of the ones, Psalm 62, five through eight, mm-hmm. when God says to his people, pour out your heart to him, or, or the psalmist says, pour mm-hmm. out your heart to him. He is your refuge. God tells us, you know, our, our feeling, he created us as a mode of beings. He created mm-hmm. us to have feelings, feelings. He wants us to enjoy our feelings and our feelings can be, you know, wonderful and they can be very difficult, but he created us in his image because he has feelings. And so they aren't bad, but they aren't what determines what is true. So that is awesome. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So feelings again, tied into this third lie that love is affirming everything I feel, you know, this this is something that our kids and even we ourselves are going to be receiving all mm. of the time. Just, you know, like mm-hmm. when we think about the slogan, you know, like love is love, you know, like it's like, okay, well, what, what does, what do we actually mean 
right. by that, you know, just saying that all forms of, you know, love, you right. know, putting air quotes up right now, you know, that le- all forms of love mm-hmm. are equal where love in our culture is really defined by you just, you affirm me, you make me mm-hmm. feel good. Now there are times when love is accompanied by positive emotions. And then there are times when love is not, you know, like we think about the greatest act of love in in human history was Christ going to the cross for us. And mm-hmm. we know that there there were not positive emotions involved in that, that, that mm-hmm. Jesus was sweating drops of blood, yes. you know, in the garden, that he that he ultimately was was humbly submitted to the will of the Father. And, you know, it, it's in Isaiah it says, you know, it was God's will to crush him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what God's will was. But there were not happy emotions involved in that. And so so what we need to talk with our kids about, you know, when somebody uses the word love, anytime, you know, like we're watching like a, a program together or we're listening to a song or we just hear a conversation, I think it's really important for us to pause and say, okay, that person just used the word love. Mm-hmm. You know, like what, how did they use that word? How are they defining that word? You know, because our friends at Mama Bear Apologetics, they talk a lot about mm-hmm. what they they term linguistic theft, which is where a word has kind of been hijacked from its you know, it's historic meaning and then like co-opted to mean something else. And then we talk about the same word, but we're talking about completely different things past one another. So Mm -hmm. this is something we need to talk about with our kids. You know, like what is the definition of love? What is the biblical definition of love? Mm -hmm. And then how is this person defining love? Because when we, when we think about the biblical definition of love, you know, it talks in scripture about, you know, like greater love has no one than this, than that someone would lay down their life for their friend. And so Mm -hmm. when we look at, you know, all of what scripture has to say about love, I think a I think a simple definition for our children is love is giving of ourselves to do what is best for someone else. Mm. Love is giving of ourselves to do what is best for someone else. Now, sometimes doing what is best for someone else does not feel like that. You know, like when the doctor amputates someone's foot because it has gangrene in it, that does not feel like what is best to that person. Mm -hmm. But that is the most loving, most self-sacrificing thing that that doctor can do for that person. You know, sometimes love is giving somebody else a hug and that feels, you know, very positive, you know, and it's very good. But there are times where doing what's best for someone else doesn't feel good. So I think we need to ground our kids in that definition, Mm -hmm. you know, talk about how all the biblical examples of love and how we see that definition throughout scripture and then talk about, okay, how is this person using the word love? Just so anytime they're, you know, whether they're in a conversation or whether they're reading a book or whether they're watching a show, anytime love pops up, they're pausing to think, wait a minute, how did this person just use this word? Mm -hmm. And then the examples that I gave, you know, back for the first lie that, you know, that truth is, is if I feel it, it must be true. Mm -hmm. And the examples I gave, you know, like about a friend who might be struggling with anorexia or depression, those are examples with older kids that we can come back to and talk about that. You know, like, am I genuinely loving this person? If I am just making them feel like what they are believing is right. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm not doing what is best for them, you know? And so with little kids, we can talk about, you know, like what is best for our neighbor? You know, like what Mm -hmm. is something that we can do that would be best for them? You know, maybe it's mowing their lawn or baking them cookies, but then also talking about, you know, when we discipline our kids saying, I'm doing this because I love you, you know, right now correcting your behavior so that you understand that what you're doing is sin and it is separating you from God. It is separating you from me. You know, I am disciplining you because I love you. And this is what is best. So we just want to help our kids really understand what is this word love and always be thinking, how is this person using the term? Oh, that's very, uh, so good. And when you 
we've talked a lot about uh, the principles of logic, which you've really incorporated so well into this curriculum. That's one of the first things you do, define your terms. What do you mean by that? Because if we're not meaning the same thing, and we need to go back to the biblical definition because of Christ, I love that. It was, you know, it is right before you were saying it, I was thinking it, Christ in the garden. What if he had affirmed his feelings and his feelings were, everything around him. I'm sure we would have had a lot of people saying, no, you don't need to do this. You know, your feelings, look how you're sweating. Look at the anxiety. Look at the fear. You know, all of these feelings are telling you not to go this down this path, but that was the path that saved humanity. So Christ didn't affirm his feelings. He submitted his feelings to his heavenly father and walked down a path. And he tells us to take that same cross that he took with our feelings and submit our feelings to him. So we should, and there are verses in this Bible that talks about, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. Our feelings are given to us. And throughout this life, for however long the Lord lets us live here, we have these feelings and we don't need to just affirm everything that we're feeling as if that's pointing us towards the truth. The truth may be in a, a different path. It certainly was for Christ. And thank God he did not abdicate that, that he went to the cross. Praise God. Thank God. Ah, That is wonderful. So what do we have up next? Yes. So line number four, a little bit down a little bit of a different path, but I think it's an important one for us to talk with our kids about. And this is the lie that faith is the opposite Mm -hmm. of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been talking a lot in this podcast and the one we recorded previously, you know, just about, we've been talking both about physical things in the world, you know, like understanding the truth of, you know, the difference between taking rat poison and taking an antibiotic, (laughs) you know, and like, you know, understanding like the truth of gravity or, you know, like that there's Mm -hmm. an objective, you know, way to correctly design architecturally, you know, buildings. And then we've also been talking about like spiritual or metaphysical truths, like morality or the existence of God. And sometimes what actually often in our world, Mm -hmm. we tend to just like bifurcate, just be like, okay, so these are like physical truths Mm -hmm. that we can know. And then these are spiritual things that you like, everybody's just going to kind of have a different opinion about them. And Mm -hmm. you just put your faith, you know, in this. And so this, this lie that the faith is the opposite of knowledge. I like to call it the Hobby Lobby lie, which don't get me wrong. I love (laughs) Hobby Lobby. And I think they're a wonderful uh, Christian family that owns Hobby Lobby. But if you go to Hobby Lobby, you know, like there's tons of signs or like little decorative pillows that is like, you know, like with faith, all things are possible. And I'm kind of like, like, really? really, you know, like if I really believe with my whole heart that I'm Teddy Roosevelt, like, do I suddenly become Teddy Roosevelt, you know, mm-hmm. or like, I've always wanted to like fly. Like when I was little, I used to have dreams about being able to, you know, like just flap my arms and like fly off the ground. Like if I believe hard enough, will I be able to? And it's like, no, like these things are just not true, but that's because again, of the definition of the Mm -hmm. word as it's being used. And so like, you know, when it's like with faith, all things are possible. It's just like really how faith is being described is as wishful thinking. Yeah. You know, with wishful thinking, all things are possible. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before about Barna research and another uh, organization that I love to look at their research is Ligonier Ministries. Every other Mm -hmm. year they come out with a biannual state of theology report. And in their most recent state of theology report, they found that 41% of evangelical young adults agreed or strongly agreed with the statement, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. And so they're believing, you know, like that's, that's close to half of, you know, like evangelical young adults are believing that, you know, like, oh, Oh, faith is just about, you know, like wishful thinking, you know, like whatever, you know, whatever you think is true. Where again, we want to go back to, okay, what is the bi- biblical definition? 
So I think most of us probably think of, you know, Hebrews mm. 11, one, you know, talking about faith. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and right. certain of what we do not see. And then we're like, okay, so what does that mean? <laughs> you know, what does it mean? Like sure yeah. of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. When we look at the biblical pattern, what we see is that God consistently asks his people to put their trust in him who they cannot see because everything they can see points to him. And we see this throughout scripture. You know, when you think of Exodus 20, the 10 commandments, most people, you know, when you're like, okay, so how does the the 10 commandments chapter start? You know, most people would say, you should have no other gods before me. And yes, that is the first of the 10 commandments. That's actually Exodus 20 verse three. You know, before that, God says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Right. And then he goes in to what the people are supposed to do. Well, what had just happened in Egypt? The people had just seen 10 visible signs that God was the creator and sustainer of the universe. And then if that weren't enough, they saw the sea of reeds parted and they walked through on dry ground. And then God led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So God was reminding them of everything they had just seen and was like, okay, now because of this, live this way. And we see this in the New Testament as well. You know, when when John the Baptist, when he's put in prison, you know, John before, you know, John was the first one to recognize Jesus. Like he recognized Jesus mm-hmm. in utero. <laughs> you right. know, the gospel of Luke tells us, you know, that John like leapt in Elizabeth's womb. So like in utero, he recognizes Jesus mm-hmm. as the Messiah. And then when he's baptizing by the Jordan, he says, behold, the lamb of God who washes away the sins of the world. But then like us all, you know, just in our human frailty, he's in prison. Things start to go not exactly according to plan. And he right. sends his disciples to say, you know, are you, are the, are you the Christ or should we look for someone else? And Jesus doesn't, yeah, Jesus doesn't give him a pep talk. He's not like, just trust in me, John, you know, what's wrong with mm-hmm. you? He goes back and he says, tell John what you hear and see, you know, the, the lame are I'm walking, walking, the blind are receiving sight, you know, like the dead are, are being raised, you know, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. So again, he's like, okay, look at the evidence. Mm-hmm. Everything that was spoken about in the prophets is coming true. Now put your trust in me. So biblically, you know, the definition of faith is putting our trust in the God Mm -hmm. who we cannot see because everything we can see points to him. So when we talk about having faith, you know, in God, it's not just like, well, you know, I have, I have, I have this really wishful thinking and I just, I just really hope that it's going to come true. Well, it's like, no, we rest on the promises of God. We rest on the word of God because Jesus rose from the grave, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and we're putting our trust exactly where he did, you know, in the words of God. So I think it's really important for us just, you know, to help our kids understand when we talk about faith, you know, when some people talk about faith, they're going to be like wishful thinking, like, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. like I know, I know the evidence isn't there, but I'm just going to close my eyes and like hope that when I walk off this cliff, it's going to be okay. But when we're talking about biblical faith, we're talking about evidence-based trust. I love that. I love the examples that you bring up. And, you know, it brings to mind what Paul said in First Corinthians, just if Christ mm-hmm. isn't raised from the dead, then our faith is useless. It's based mm-hmm. on a fact. It's based on something that actually happened. And I love that example from John, because like you said, I've mentioned this before, he, he from utero knew who Jesus was. And that also gives me some encouragement that if he got in a place in life where he was so discouraged and downtrodden that it's okay. We're going to have those moments in life and our kids may have those moments in life where the prayer didn't turn out, you know, like we, we had a really rough le- year last year where someone very close to us passed, two people that we were close to pass. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my son had a friend in his youth group who died in a tragic accident the same mm-hmm. day. Someone who was like an uncle to us mm-hmm. passed away. And I spoke at the funeral and I used that example from John the Baptist because he knew, mm-hmm. if he, you know, 
and so if he went through those times, we will have those times where we'll be tempted to doubt, but he's, he always tells us, remember what I have done and remember, you know, and he, he pointed the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear again. And then that beautiful phrase, blessed is he who is not offended on account of me that we'll have moments in our faith and our life where we're like, God, you could have done this. I would have done this differently. And yet we have to bend the knee and say, but you are God. I am not. And I'm, I'm trusting you in this situation. So that's beautiful. That's, that's awesome. I, I don't, I heard you share an example once, and I just absolutely love this. The kid that was so disappointed that you were teaching the Sunday school class. You remember that one? Can (laughs) you just share that very quickly? Because it was in line with this about, you know, what we tend to think is some people think that we turn our brains off when we go to church and we don't, Mm -hmm. that it shouldn't be that way. But if you could share that, I would love for my audience to hear that. Yes. This is my shining moment as a Sunday school teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I... At the time, at the church, I used to live just outside of Chicago mm-hmm. and the church that I attended there. I taught Sunday school, I think once a month. And one week I would, in between services, I was seated in the little coffee bar area of the church. And one of the boys from the class, he saw me there and he walks in and he goes, oh no, it's you. And I was like, <laughs> it is wonderful to see you too, Samuel. Like, And I was like, so tell me, why are you so excited to see me? And he's like, because seeing you here means you're probably going to be our teacher. And I hate it when you're our teacher. And I was just like, I mean, you know, I'm still laughing, but I was like, that's interesting. You know, most of my <laughs> students really enjoy having me as a teacher. So why don't you like having me as a teacher? And he's like, because he's like, every time I go to Sunday school, he's like, I just see Jesus as the answer. And everybody is okay with that, except you. (laughs) You always make me explain why Jesus is the answer. And that makes me think, and I hate that. And then he he ends with, he ends with, you're not supposed to think in church. That's what (sighs) school is for. And, you know, I said, you know, Samuel, I don't think you meant that to be a compliment, but I think that's actually one of the greatest compliments a child has ever given me. (laughs) I Um, love that. Yes. Even though it's like a funny story, it is really sad when you think about, you know, he was able to articulate what probably a lot of kids think, but can't necessarily articulate. And adults, unfortunately, adults too. Yeah. Yep. That, you know, like I go to church or I go, or I, sorry, I go to school or I go to work or, you know, like I go to the library and I turn my mind on, I go to church and I turn my mind off. We're like, that is completely the opposite of what we see in scripture. That scripture never right. breaks us up into, you know, like all these different parts. And we're supposed to leave one part of the door. Like we're supposed to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mind. Yes. <laughs> um. So, so yes. Yeah, so we want to equip those kids to understand we turn our minds mm-hmm. on at all times. <laughs> uh, that is so good. I love that example. I think it's just awesome because it it is... <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of people think that Christians, oh, those Christians, they do turn their brains off. They only, they're, it's all about feeling. It's oddly enough. And we're sitting, we're the ones who are telling our kids, you know, hopefully if we're teaching them the biblical worldview is that no, we don't, we're not guided by our feelings. We are guided by fact. We're guided by truth, which corresponds with reality. So that is so, 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 so good. Keep going. What do we got up next? I think number five. Yeah. So our fifth lie. Yeah. So the fifth lie is one we also, for those who listened to the previous podcast, we touched on a little bit. And um, this is a lie that just undergirds everything in our society, Mm. that humans are the product of blind, unguided evolution. And now whenever I talk about this, this lie, one thing that I like to tell people is one mistake we make as Christians is we tend to wrap up 
all of the questions about origins in one package and we Mm. get them all confused. When I talk about humans are not the product of blind unguided evolution, I am not talking about the start of the universe. I am not Mm -hmm. talking about the age of the universe. I'm not talking about the age of the earth. I'm not talking about when dinosaurs existed. All I'm talking about is the origin of human life. Not that those other things aren't important, but sometimes we just tend to wrap them all up in one package and Mm -hmm. we get our kids so confused. (laughs) So, you know, like when we're talking about creations of or questions of origin, we need to take one at a time. Right. And so this is, this claim is one that in our society, it's not really argued. It's just assumed, you know, it's just assumed everywhere, you know, that, you know, the, the Darwinian evolution model is fact, you know, like, and we're moving on. But as we talked about briefly in the previous podcast that, you know, if, we got here by accident. If Mm -hmm. we do not have any inherent design, if we were not brought here by a purpose, it means that we don't have any objective purpose, Mm -hmm. any objective value or any objective meaning. Mm -hmm. And it means that therefore we have to create our own purpose. We have to create our own meaning. We have to create our own value. You know, even when you think about you know, our, not all our kids might not know about this yet, but even when you think about the abortion debate in our society, Mm -hmm. you know, this is really where it stems that, you know, we are the ones who determine value subjectively, you know, like, and if we don't see the baby, if we don't care about the baby, then the baby actually isn't a person. And so we can discard of the baby. And so that that's where it comes from. Because if, if we are the process or the product of blind, unguided evolution, then we don't have any inherent worth, meaning, or value. And so we want to help our kids see that this is not actually even what the science points to right. that, you know, there are the discovery Institute out in Seattle has done so much great mm-hmm. work, you know, on, you know, just looking at intelligent design. And so many of the people that work there are Christians, many of them are not, but just the scientific community at large is starting to question mm-hmm. this model, you know, does it actually align with the evidence that we find in the world around us? And so right. in the last podcast, I gave the example of just a great activity we can do with our kids, you know, just showing them two different groups of letter tiles, whether it's bananagrams or Scrabble or just letters you cut out, you know, and have one pile just organized randomly. And then another one organized purposely to spell out words and then talk about the two different piles. And both of them could have come about intelligently. Both of them could have come about purposely. You know, someone could have arranged them like that, but it's only the random one that could have come about accidentally because Mm -hmm. we never, ever, ever find information coming about by accident. And we just know this in society. When we see a stop sign, we're not like, Oh, wonder what tornado blew that in. You know, like we understand that like someone intelligent (laughs) created that sign. They created that symbol and they placed it there. You know, similar to when we're looking at rocks Mm -hmm. on a mountain versus Mount Rushmore. Mm -hmm. Right. We just understand that the faces on Mount Rushmore were not created by natural events and natural eroding because it gives us information about specific people, Mm -hmm. you know, specific individuals. And so we just get this. And so we want our kids to understand that. So with little ones, a really simple thing to do is just talk about design and no design and just show them pictures. You know, you could show them a picture of a random assortment of rocks or sticks versus a log cabin, you know, and like which one actually shows design. And then once they understand this, they're going to start to see design in all things and realize, oh yeah, like, you know, we never get information accidentally. And it's the same with us. And then we talk about, I'll just like to show kids like a YouTube video, YouTube clip for kids on DNA and what DNA is. And, you know, just get the basics of like human genetic coding and talk about, you know, if we couldn't get 
one sentence, you know, to be spelled accidentally yes. by shaking so up a, a pile of bananagram tiles. Mm-hmm. What do you think the odds are that we're going to get an entire novel? You know, like what, what do you think the odds are that we're going to get Romeo and Juliet? Like that's ridiculous to even think about. Well, then when you look at the amount of information that's in our DNA, right. we have more information <laughs> in our individual DNA as an individual human than then there are books in the Library of Congress, <laughs> you know? Yes. So like the thought that like that could somehow come about accidentally is just absolutely absurd, you know? And so that doesn't, it doesn't naturally then say, oh, so therefore the Bible right. is true. You know, like that's exactly. skipping a whole bunch of steps, but just to show our kids that the creation account as presented in scripture actually lines up with what we find in reality. And once we start exactly. teaching kids about like, okay, so what does this mean about us as humans? Mm-hmm. If we got here accidentally, what does that mean? And I just was shocked, you know, like with the way my students were able to make really drastic conclusions. Like one time, one of the fourth grade teachers came down to me and was like, are you teaching kids about Hitler in your worldview class? I'm like, no, why would I be teaching kids about Hitler in my worldview class? (laughs) And she was just Mm -hmm. like, well, you're two of your boys from your class just had this amazing conversation in my classroom. And they were reading a novel in fourth grade that took place during the time of the Holocaust. And one of the, they were talking about Hitler's final solution is right. hatred for the Jewish people. And one of the boys was like, you know, I don't know if it would be so much what Hitler, that Hitler hated Jewish people, but how he views a human. And then the other boy was like, yeah, because I mean, if if you think we just got here accidentally by evolution, wouldn't it actually be a smart thing to get rid of the weak people or the people that, you know, like you just don't think are as good? And she was like, Mm-hmm. Actually, yes. So our kids, you know, like if we just give them this foundation for unmasking some of these lies, mm-hmm. it's incredible how they can take it and just run with it. <laughs> Absolutely. It is the natural implications of survival of the fittest, right? I mean, that that is yes, that is exactly where you end up. Mike makes right at that point. There's so many we could do a whole podcast on this one. I love this topic so much <laughs> because it, it's it's so it's so true that how could that have possibly happened? And and really what is so interesting, I think, is Darwin had no notion of where that first even single cell organism came, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the origin of the species is he's postulating how the species evolved, but where did that first, where did first life come from? My favorite joke, right? Uh, I hope I don't butcher this. This is such a great joke, but it was uh, <laughs> these, this group of, of, of scientists got together and they were talking with God and they're like, oh, we, we can, we can do this. We can create man. And so they worked their entire lives and they they finally, they finally figured it out. They're like, we got it, God, we can create man. And so they go and they get this big pile of dirt and they start molding it. And God's like, uh-uh, get your own dirt. <laughs> so with the dirt, you know, if, if, where did that first little yeah. element come from? Where did that first cell? And, and we, he didn't even postulate it. And even the greatest yeah. Darwinian evolutionist today, like Richard Dawkins, he goes back and, you know, I think it was in the blind watchmaker, where he said, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance yes. of having mm-hmm. been designed by purpose. He even acknowledges it throughout the book that, yeah, it does look this way. And it takes a lot, of, frankly, it takes a lot of faith to believe the more that you know, because Darwin had no notion of all of the complexity of what was in that cell. Mm. He thought it was mm-hmm. this blob of protoplasm. But now that we can see the DNA, we can see the double helix design. And what you were talking about reminded me sometimes just for fun, I like to go and listen to Dr. Stephen Meyer, you know, signature yeah. in the cell. And he talks about that double helix design and the coded language that goes all up mm-hmm. and down that. And he's like, there's no, exactly what you were saying in the universe, there is no known existence of coded language without a programmer. There's always a programmer for coded language. Mm-hmm. Well, every cell in our bodies has 
all of this intricate coded language within it. So therefore it must point towards a design. And like, like you said, that doesn't get us to the God of scripture, but it does get us to some sort of a higher being or higher authority that must have created what we see here today and put it into place because we, we could not have done this on our own. It did not come out of nothing, you know, nothing comes from nothing. You know, (laughs) I think that's, uh, I think that's a little sound of music theology right there. (laughs) Uh, You remember that song? Nothing comes from nothing. Yeah. ever could. Anyways, that is so good. I I wish we could camp out here, but we do need to keep going. We've got, I think we're up to number six now, aren't we? Yep. Yep. Just two more to go. And number six might sound like a weird one. It's a line that I actually lifted from the movie Frozen 2, but I'll explain it. Um, (laughs) um, It's a line number six is you are the one you've been waiting for. There's just this moment in Frozen 2 and I just remember seeing it in the theaters and you know, like the music is swelling and I'm like, oh, like Elsa's going to find out like the, you know, like the solution to this problem. And, you know, the ghost of her mother goes, you are the yes. one you've been waiting for all of your life. And I'm like, oh, that is so our culture. <laughs> but we, you know, like our kids are constantly told, you know, like you are enough. Look within you for the strength that you need. You can be anything you want to be. You determine your destiny. You know, like basically you can go and rescue yourself. And now there is something to be said for actually doing something and moving forward, you know, like, so not saying, you know, we should be sitting here waiting on the sofa, you know, for something to happen. Right. But this is, this is just such a detrimental lie because it's, it's snuck into even the Christian community. You know, like there are books that are advertised, you know, on the front cover of Christian book distributors, you know, that are all about, you know, like you are enough, like girl, wash your face, stop apologizing, you know, like live your destiny, these kind of things where when, when we just look at who we are as humans, we just know that like, we can't, we can't do this. And and so the interesting thing is when you think about the lie that we talked about previously, right. That humans are the product of blind, unguided evolution. It means that you have no inherent value. You have no inherent worth. So you need to go out and make that. And so while it might sound good, like you are enough, you have everything you need, you know, you determine your own destiny. Well, what's the opposite side of that? you better not dare mess up because if you do, you have nothing to fall back on. (laughs) You know, kidding. A lot of pressure. Yeah. When we think of the biblical worldview, it teaches that humans are image bearers of the Holy God, which Mm -hmm. means that no matter what anybody does to us, no matter what anybody says about us, no matter what anybody thinks about us, our value cannot be stripped away. People can treat us in a way that does not align with that value, but that value cannot be stripped mm, away. But then we're so also told that, you know, we're sinful. And so we mm. need to be rescued. You know, we, we actually need a rescuer. So especially when we're talking about things within the Christian community, we want to constantly be pointing our kids back to Jesus. And you mentioned before, you know, about classical education and about learning history. And that's one of the hugely valuable things I see with classical education is really grounding our kids in history because we see repeatedly all throughout history what happens when humans think that they are God, (laughs) you know, and what that leads to. So we want to constantly be pointing our kids back to the gospel that like, yes, God has made you unique. God has made you as an image bearer of himself. And because humans chose to rebel, we need someone to rescue us from our sinful state. And Jesus, you know, is the only rescuer. Jesus is the only rescuer. So we need to help them see both their inherent value and their brokenness. And then also to see the emptiness Mm -hmm. of the other belief, you know, that you have it all within you, you know, you can do it. Well, what does that say (laughs) 
when you mess up? What does that say when you hit your brother? What does that say when you roll your eyes at me? What does that say when you fail a test at school? That Mm -hmm. says that, you know what? Up, you know what? You had it in you and you just couldn't live up. So you just actually aren't enough. (laughs) Um, And so we want to help them see, we want to help them see the following this. And we also want to train them to recognize these lies, even within the Christian community. Like there's, um, there's a very popular, um, I, I always need to be careful when I'm talking about other curriculums because I am not trying to just like push my own curriculum, but I just want to help people see. Um, so I'll just say, first of all, if you're looking for a great curriculum from your church, for your church, highly recommend you check out the gospel project by Lifeway that I have no affiliation with that. I don't get any financial (laughs) gain from that. That is a wonderful curriculum, but a curriculum that's really popular right now is the orange curriculum. And I just have a lot of concerns with that curriculum because it, in a lot of ways, it does actually teach this lie that we are enough. Like just last May, I was doing a review of their curriculum and their theme for the month was resilience. And it was all about, they were teaching through the book of Acts and they were just teaching the theme of resilience. You know, the apostles got knocked down and they got back up again, you know, and it was all like, you know, like, yes, and we pray and we can be resilient. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, first of all, that's just like an incorrect interpretation of scripture. Like Acts is not about resilience. It's about God faithfully building his church as he's promised throughout, you know, like all of Revelation before that. It's not about us, it's about him. Oh, exactly. And so we want to equip our kids to recognize those lies, even if they're coming from a Sunday school classroom, or even if they're coming from like a supposedly Christian kids fiction series that like, wait a minute, is this saying that I am the rescuer or is this Uh saying that Jesus is the rescuer? So if we can just alert our kids to this and, and bring up, you know, like even examples from our own life, you know, do you remember last week when you lied to me about, you know, X and I just lost my temper. I blew my top. I yelled at you. I did not treat you like you're an image bearer of God. And I had to, you know, what you did was wrong and you needed to repent. And my response was wrong. I needed to repent. Like, do we have within us everything we need? No, we constantly need God's grace. So I think it's just so important. We walk our children through this. (laughs) Thank you for pointing out how often the Christian community is getting this wrong. I have seen children's books where it's, you can be whoever you dream that you can be. Everything is possible. And I'm like, I know I do on some level, you, you feel like, well, because the culture is so ingrained it, well, you're a bad parent if you don't encourage your kid along the, that line of thinking. Right. And, but you're not, you're a realistic parent that recognizes, no, you can't do that. We all have limitations. We are not unlimited. I don't have unlimited mental capacity. I don't have unlimited physical capacity. I, I wanted when I was a little kid to be a world-class ice skater and win Olympic gold medals. And my first time out on the ice, I hit it hard. And I'm like, this is not going to happen for me. And it never mm-hmm. did happen. But I still, I dreamed of being that. You can't necessarily be whoever you dream you can be. That being said, I don't want to squash my kids' dreams. So here how is how right. I couch it with my kids. I say, look, you can be whoever God created you to be. Right. And whoever God yeah. created you to be is amazing and awesome and exciting and the most fulfilling life you could ever had. You will never be more fulfilled than when you are doing what he has called you to do. And newsflash, you're not even capable of doing that on your own, okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're going to have to surrender to God and rely on him to accomplish his will in your life. But that is a dream that can and will come to pass as you submit yourself to him. That's the message I think we need to be giving our kids. Not that you can be whoever you dream you are, because what happens when your kid dreams that, you know, they're 
they were born a boy, but they dream they're a girl. What happens when they their dreams take them down a path that is destructive? Mm-hmm. So as parents, as Christian parents, we've got to recognize this lie <laughs> and ward it off mm-hmm. in the past and feed our kids with the truth on this issue that they can be who God has called them to be. And even that is going to require their complete surrender to the Lord and mm-hmm. his aid and assistance as it did in the book of Acts, like you're mentioning they didn't do that for resilience they did i mean as far as i i've never been able to scale the wall of a prison to us not that i've been in prison but you know to escape i mean paul paul yeah this the things that happened there were supernatural as they believed and relied on god so that is so so good are we we've gotten to our last one now we're wrapping it up yes so the seventh lie is that a good god wouldn't judge And now this one is a lie that our kids might not hear too often, but really the foundation of that lie is heard all throughout our culture, you know, in don't judge or it's wrong to judge or who are you to judge or even just, you know, like you do you, meaning like there's no right or there's no wrong. And then when we head over to progressive Christian circles, we hear more directly this claim, you know, that God is love. So God will not judge, you know, God will not judge us because a good God wouldn't judge. And, you know, on, on the outset, it does sound pretty compelling, you know, that when we just think of, yes, God is love. It is true, you know, that God is love, but God's love is not pitted against his judgment because mm-hmm. a God of love is a God who will judge. And so I just, you know, I saw a really easy example of this recently. I was uh, traveling for work and I was traveling with a friend and I was doing some work on the plane and she was watching a movie. And after the flight, I asked her like, what was that movie? It looked super interesting. And it was actually based on some true events of a journalist, an investigative reporter who went over to Bangkok and he was trying to do an expose on the brothels there that were having underage girls in the brothels, you know, girls that were like nine Mm -hmm. to 14 years old. And like, as she was describing the movie to me, I was just like, oh, Uh, like this is like sick, you know? And, you know, when you think about something like that and you think about how, you know, there are people in our world right now who are in sexual slavery and not just adults, but also little children, you know, just think of like tons of, you know, just horrific things that happen all throughout human history. Mm -hmm. And currently, you know, that there's genocides, there's tons of sexual abuse, you know, there's physical abuse, tons of violence. And like, would a good God, you know, actually just look at someone who has sexually abused a child, you know, repeatedly never, you know, never repented of and say, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. It's not really that big of a deal. You're fine. Like, no, we know that that would not be a safe God. That would not be a loving God, you know, to not punish just these horrendous crimes. Now with a teenager, you know, talking through things like that is really powerful. You know, with littler kids, we're not probably going to expose them to some more of these horrendous forms of evil in society. But, you know, we can just, even within our homes, just show them that they actually want a God who is a just judge. And an easy way to do this is have a family game night, you know, Mm -hmm. tell one of your kids, maybe one of your more mischievous children, um, (laughs) that that this evening you are not going to punish them for breaking any rules that when you play this game, you know, they can break whatever rules they Mm -hmm. want, you know, for their own advantage. And then during the game, don't punish them for that and just see what happens with your other children. (laughs) You know, it's probably not going to be more than 30 seconds, you know, before somebody cries out, this is unfair. Like, mom, dad, why don't you stop this? Because We all have this innate sense of justice and we know that those in authority over us have the responsibility Mm -hmm. of judging 
justly, you know, so then you can, you can pause and you can, you know, just debrief the game and talk about, well, why did you get so upset when I didn't do anything? You know, why did you feel that I needed to do something? Oh, cause this wasn't fair. Another word for fair is just, you know, something that mm-hmm. is right. Then talk about, okay, so God, who's in charge of the entire universe, you know, so much more than me, I'm just in charge of our family. God's in charge of the entire universe. So what should God do if he is a loving and good God? What should he do when someone breaks the moral law? Well, he should punish them. That's mm-hmm. what a just loving God would do. And then we can, you know, take it a step further and explain to our kids that when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, what we're talking about is we're talking about him paying the just penalty mm-hmm. for our sins. You know, because whenever we come to God and we repent and we ask for forgiveness, it's not like God just says, you know, oh, it's okay. Try harder next time. Like that's nowhere throughout scripture that God is always a God of justice. And whenever we repent, and ask for forgiveness for an offense against God, the reason we can receive forgiveness is because Jesus already paid that just penalty for us. So we want our kids just to understand the gospel and then also that because God is just, we can trust him. Because he is just, Mm -hmm. he is loving. And so we just want them to see the truth of this so that they don't, you know, just very easily buy into this false idea that judgment is a bad thing. That is so good. It's such an insidious lie that I think is everywhere. And yet it's so, you're so right. It breaks down so quickly. I've had five toddlers and one of the very (laughs) first things they scream about is any injustice. He hit me. She took my toy. You know, it starts right off the bat. That isn't fair. And what they're really saying is that isn't just. And what do they want? They want mommy or daddy to come in and make it right to bring justice to a situation at the very earliest ages. And what is all of our modern day activism, which some of it can be good, some of it isn't. It's about demanding justice. But what we really want is God's justice. We don't want a God who turns a blind eye to rape and murder and genocide and says, eh, who am I to judge? You guys are on your own now. I made you. You just do whatever you want. And really, that's where you end up with this ultimate progressive Christianity uh, that that would say that a good God wouldn't judge because we want him and need him to judge. What I think too often happens is that we want to be the judge. We want to determine what is right and wrong. And We don't want to submit to what he has said and to his design, but ultimately we, what we want to bring our kids to understand, he is a good God. And yes, sometimes our feelings don't line up with what he says is right and wrong. Sometimes our feelings don't line up. Sometimes I know I have friends who have kids, their feelings don't line up with their anatomy. Their feelings don't line up with God's word. And on some level, everyone is there. Everyone. My feelings don't line up. It might not be in the same area as yours, but we're all there. We're all flawed. We all have feelings that are contrary to God's word. And he's a loving and righteous judge because his judgments are for our good. What he wants is for us to stop hurting ourselves and hurting each other and finding our true fulfillment 
and who he's called us and created us to be. And you have really helped us to do that today, uh, Elizabeth, by sharing these lies with us, by making us aware of what they are and how we can counteract those lies with our kids. So for a second time, Elizabeth, kudos, you have hit the ball out of the park. This has been so incredible. Please tell us again where our listeners can find out more about you and about Foundation Worldview. Yes. Well, thanks so much for having me on today, Catherine. Um, To find out more information about what we do at Foundation Worldview, you can go to foundationworldview.com and find out all of the resources that we have there. So again, it's foundationworldview.com. Great. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. This has been wonderful. Be sure to check out my Instagram page with the handle at Catherine Seegers and my Facebook page, Catherine Seegers Speaker, to see clips from this conversation with Elizabeth and all my interviews to get inspiring messages and quotes and you know little parenting pep talks. We all need those from time to time and to correspond with me and other listeners about the show. And, you know, while you're at it, why don't you give it a share? We'd sure appreciate it. And... Be sure to head over to foundationworldview.com to check out all of Elizabeth's resources. They are amazing. And definitely check out her worldview curriculum. Like I said, we're using it in our home and loving it. If you want to make sure that your kids don't buy into these ubiquitous cultural lies, that is a great place to start. Don't forget, you can get that $10 discount on any Foundation Worldview license by using the coupon code CPCW. 10. That's the same discount I got. I bought it with my own money using the coupon code CPCW10 to get $10 off. And just just for the record, I don't get anything for the sale of this curriculum. I am just a fan and I want to pass it on. I want to thank you for joining me today. Look, I know there are a lot of things you could be listening to right now. And I really appreciate that you took this time to spend with me. I hope you will join me for my next podcast when we take aim at some aspect of our culture that threatens to derail our parenting and steal our kids' faith. If you enjoyed this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World, would you consider telling a friend and sharing it on social media and giving it a good review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and following me on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, oh, and maybe you could say that Christian Parent Crazy World is the best podcast you've ever heard in your entire life. Uh, Just a thought. Uh, And be sure to check out my website, which is katherineseegers.com. That's Catherine with a C. I have lots of articles and resources there that will help you on your parenting journey. And if you subscribe, I will be sure to send you some really cool free stuff and notify you of future podcasts, articles, and blogs. I want to end this and every episode with a word of encouragement. God gave you your kids, your specific kids for a reason. That's because you hold the key to unlocking who God created them to be. We'll see you next time. Christian Parent Crazy World is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com.
Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app.